What's up, y'all? It's Tomas here, back with Eudaimonia, or Eudaimonia, as some like to say. And here we're talking about, I'm here with the homies in LA, actually, and we're talking about what is Eudaimonia actually? Because a lot of people don't know, a lot of people listen to this, and they don't even know what that truly even means. What does it mean to, to flourish, to live the good life? And it's actually a concept from Aristotle, and so I'm going to pass it off right now to my homie Chris Wood, who studies philosophy here at UCLA, to sort of give you the background on what eudaimonia really is. Hello, hello. I hope you guys are all living a eudaimon life. Eudaimonia, what does that mean? Happiness. A lot of people think it means happiness at first, honestly. Um, a lot of people think it's, um, well, let's first back up and go over what eudaimonia actually is. It, it means to flourish, and the term comes from Aristotle, um, and it, it's in his books, it comes from the Nicomachean Ethics, so it has to do with ethics with how how to live your life um and aristotle comes up with the word flourishing because we use that today in many different words but flourishing is um used because there's different types of classes of beings that aristotle thinks there is, and for instance, he he can um, he he lists plants, animals, and humans, and each of these beings have a specific function. The plants, the plants have the function of um, flourishing nu and nutrition, just like we humans do, just like animals do. Um, but h humans are different. Humans have, Aristotle says, the p peculiar feature or function of reason. And that's where eudaimonia comes in because how can you really be flourishing in life if you're not being reasonable? After all, we are humans. We, are, we do know how to, we do know um, if we're using our reason correctly, generally what the right thing to do is. Uh, and so, eudaimonia is, um, I want to clear it, clear it up a little bit. There's just, at first when I, when I thought, when I was trying to answer this question, what is eudaimonia? My professor all asked us, and a lot of answers that came up were, it's the um, state of being completely absent from pain or any bothersome worries, or it's the state of happiness or euphoria in life. Uh, but really, you can have both of those things and um, not be in eudaimonia because like those those are those are really emotions that are fleeting right so eudaimonia aristotle is going to say is is flourishing it's actually what my professor he likes to say 
faring well in life. What is to fare well in life? Well, to fare well in life is to do the right thing. What is to do the right thing? Well, only your reason can tell you to do the right thing. Is There's a lot of choices to be made in this world. And if you make the wrong choice, usually it you could look at you you might look at your reason maybe it's not your reason maybe it's the universe that's just throwing you a curveball and nothing out of your uh, own control but aristotle would say generally if you leave a life of reason um you'll lead a life of, of a, a good life a good life yeah I think a lot of people like get confused about this whole idea and they think it means happiness because like to me flourishing like when a plant is flourishing or whatever you know it's a happy plant like you know big oak tree got big leaves you know no disease or anything to me it's like happiness so when you talk about it doesn't necessarily equate to you being happy it's like how can you flourish without like being happy are you talking about like kind of like being content with whatever life throws at you is that really flourishing michael jordan can play a really really great game and do really good and score i don't know if he's actually done this but score 90 points and then lose the game and be very discontented with himself but we would not say he wasn't flourishing during the game a similarly a plant can flourish and grow with the atmosphere of a stormy weather and shitty like just horrible hurricane conditions so it uh, the point is, it's like, as long as you're doing your best, you're reasonably be doing your best. That's that's what it what Aristotle would say. Flourishing happiness or eudaimonia is. Yeah, I like that a lot. That actually makes a lot of sense. Hmm. All right, you guys got anything to add? My boy Daniel over here. So I would respond with, how do you know what doing your best really is? <clears throat> In a sense, you said using your reason, but I would argue that using your reason doesn't always get you fully there to that state. You say it's not necessarily about happiness, but uh, you say, uh, rather, eudaimonia is, what did you say? It was a feeling of being completely content with what you're doing in the moment, whether it be pain or whether you be experiencing anger or some kind of traumatic experience. It's more about accepting what is. It's a, it has nothing to do with the personal happiness of the present moment. It's more of a uh, welcoming of the feeling. I think uh, earlier we mentioned, uh, Tomas mentioned surrendering to the idea that this experience is yours and it doesn't have to necessarily be a good one. But again, how do you achieve this understanding that these n not necessarily great or we can call them unpleasant are 
uh, yeah, unpleasant experiences that these two can allow us to achieve eudaimonia because they're so consistent in our lives that when we invoke reason that says, oh, I'm doing great things, I'm doing good things, and or maybe karma is going to achieve something in my life where all this good I put onto the world will be reciprocated unto me. Well, reason says, oh, then that means when, a after you've done enough good deeds, it, it comes back to you and you will be you will have everything that you you put out into the world but when that doesn't happen reason says well you should be angry possibly but that's where i would say what reason gives you that purpose how do you understand what to do to achieve eudaimonia if it's not necessarily like uh, what is it i want to ask that how, how do you go about it if you're saying follow your reason how do you know what it is to necessarily follow your reason if everyone's logical foundations are different So that's a tricky question because the reason can be really, really cunning and deceiving. You can really think you're being reasonable and think you have a right answer and be completely wrong, right? <coughs> so I think that's why Aristotle is prone to say that, hey, we can't define eudaimonia as state like uh, we uh, not states i'm sorry um emotions it's more of a lifestyle um it's more of um and that's where he comes in with the golden mean like 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 i keep bringing up so he defines virtue as being the mean between two vices one excess vice and one deficient vice and that's where he would say how to you use your reason appropriately so that's that's kind of like how do i know if i'm being reasonably right how do i know if i'm i'm being overboard or underboard how do i get the just this the 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 right amount on something um that's where he has the golden mean and you can't reach the golden mean without your reason. So that's where I would come in and say, you're saying the golden mean is kind of this balancing between this extraordinary asceticism, or one is, so you're saying it's balancing between an asceticism, like in a sense of a limitation, and one vice, or rather one excess. For instance, that like temperance would be the uh, an excess would be um, oh lasciviousness. <laughs> wow, that's a big word. Um, and then the the deficiency would be insensibility. But let's l let's l use a little. I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dumb guy here. I'm a moron. So let me use a little bit be a better. Uh, better mean so uh, like like f friendliness for instance the virtue of friendliness uh, Aristotle would say the excess vice would be flattery and then the 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 the, the over the the deficiency would be like 
shrewdness. So my question to that is, I think there are plenty of times when someone can want or think that they should be friendly in a moment, but within they are not feeling that way. They're feeling maybe jealous, maybe hateful, maybe spiteful. And when you force yourself to feel a certain way, it just piles on more kind of distortions within yourself, imbalances. And they kind of act as like a rubber band. So the more that you try to fake these emotions within yourself, the more you'll find yourself getting pulled back in the opposite way. And when you repress these things for long enough, they will start to come out as more perverted and more distorted in a sense. Yeah. I think that's quite true. And I think um, Aristotle would agree with that, but he's not trying to fake any emotion. Um, He's not trying to be kind when, when, in fact, you want to be when there's when somebody he's not trying to turn the cheek when you've been hit in the face. He's not preaching that um, he, he's preaching do the right thing in that instance. If 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 you're violated in some sort and and uh, you're forcing an emotion to be to be kind, he would say that that's that's a vice of of being you know that that would be uh, going oh thank you for bringing that up because that's a great example of going into an excess of vice so it's doing the right thing and for i think in that situation you would probably say do your what you're really feeling not not force your emotion right So going back to something you said earlier about the golden mean and following this middle ground in a sense between something in excess and something in limitation, that's where I would say a lot of people struggle in finding that middle ground. And I found it personally that it it wasn't through reason that I found that middle ground. It was through spirituality. And I know that sounds silly because I am a man of reason, but I found it through that experience showed me that there was this middle ground or connectedness. And I started to reconcile this experience with the spirituality or religion of Buddhism, this idea of uh, uh, achieving this inner peace or through self-meditation, but understanding that there's different levels of consciousness and understanding that you are connected with everything and it, it the same forces the same fields that run through you that run through the couch that run through the stars that run through the ground beneath your feet run through everything else in the universe and they are different manifestations of ourselves and i think through this spiritual experience through this buddhist religion or whether it be hinduism that has speckles of this the same with christianity which r- makes references to christ consciousness it's these spiritual experiences in these spiritual paths not necessarily that of reason which is leading to what I would call the state of eudaimonia or the state of uh, eternal euphoria, uh, euphoria where you feel this I- interconnectedness with everything where you it, but it is the middle way these religions teach of the middle way it says to not be ascetic or not be in excess because p- through being exce- through being ascetic you will harm your physical body and you will limit this experience which is not the purpose of your existence but you cannot be spiritual and be unreasonable at the same time. So my point is, 
spirituality involves the reason reasonable life as well yeah i would agree with that i think there are three main paths although you can reach god in many ways and the three paths that were described are kriya which is energy yana which is mind and bhakti which is devotion or emotion and out of these three, there's many manifestations, many different paths to one God. You hear this in Taoism. The Tao is many roads lead to one. And through Christ, everything is God. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing I wanted to ask was, so on the topic of the excess vices, right? There's the problem between choosing to do one thing but in that moment if you feel another way then I feel like there becomes like an incongruency or like mm -hmm. a, a weird way to not know what to do next mm -hmm. so I'm wondering like in your path what is the way to get to the point of just feeling that way that virtue without devices if that makes sense So, um, since we're still on the topic of Aristotle's vice, and you said at times there's, there's different, um, there's times where we don't know uh, when we're conflicted. conflicted. Thank you. Thank you with, with, with doing the right thing or we're pulled different ways. And actually... Plato has a theory called the he he has kind of like a metaphor he calls the wild horseman which is kind of like what you described with these different um ways mind um emotion Plato believed that there there's this horse and we have we have our minds our emotions and and our desires and we sometimes have the desires controlling the horse which gets complicated because then our desires are actually what's in control of our reason and our reason is now being used to feed our desires for instance you may say a alcoholic is being unreasonable when he is um, bankrupt and spending his last dollar on a bottle of booze but Really, his he isn't being unreasonable. Unre his appetite for booze is—he's uh, he, using his reason to feed his appetite for booze, right? So, um, to get back to the point, when do we? F how do we know when we're feeling conflicted or not? I I would think it's like a gut into we fall back on the power of intuition. And that's when we know whether we're in the vice, whether we're in, uh, you know, um, I think the intuition is very, very powerful to tell us when we're doing right and wrong. The, my uh, one quick question in response to that would be, couldn't intuition be trained in the sense of isn't that necessarily due to your like a Pavlovian training? Like you can literally condition yourself to think or react a certain way uh, due to certain environmental conditions? 
Yeah, I think that intuition is always in flux since we're at birth. It's being nurtured. nurtured. Um, you see this, look at a warrior, for instance. I mean, his intuition becomes more and more sensitive as he takes on more combat experiences. So then if the intuition is always changing, how can we follow it if it's not something that's constant? If it's always changing, how do you predict what it will change into so that way you can follow it properly? I'm saying it, follow it in a sense of your last experience. Follow it that you, where it's at. The intuition is trained at this moment, at this time. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not worried about what it will be in my next moment because if I haven't had an experience to shi shift my intuition in such a way to, to start predicting my next moment, then it's not about that. It's just... It's just your in I don't think you're that's that's why they call it your intuition, right? It's because you're you're going on what you presently feel. You're not into it. It's it's not something you could really predict out from the future. You know, Daniel, you had this kind of perspective of like there's like this like one thing, there's like this like one map of like what you should or must do. When I really think that I found in my life that like connecting to that kind of heart, I call it like the heart or like the gut instinct, which is like the intuition kind of within you, like whatever that sort of guides you to do, I really think is in some weird way, the right thing for you to do, whether that's going to be a painful experience for you or not, like it could guide you to some bullshit that's going to really hurt you, but then you're going to like learn from it and you're going to come out stronger for it. And so to me, like your intuition, like that kind of example, like spending your last dollar on that bottle of booze in like some weird way that could be like what intuition or God or what, you know, life is sort of guiding you to do for you to fulfill like a spiritual experience on earth of like learning the lessons you came here to learn or, you know, as kind of like funny as that sounds, you know what I mean? Like you sort of are here for this kind of reason and like intuition is this background thing guiding you to that and also an interesting point is like the less you like listen to that because you're sort of your ego wants you to like do something or you don't want to step into discomfort because you don't want to like you know have that feeling of like being uncomfortable being unsafe you'll start to slowly lose that intuition you won't hear that voice as much anymore and then you kind of feel like you're falling off the path and that like you get into addiction you get into just like feeling off in general and so I think it's important to really explore that and stay on that path. And so just just to get back to the lesson of Aristotle, eudaimonia, feeling intuition is really, really big because I think Aristotle would respond in such a way that he would say, how do you know you're living the eudaimonia? How, how do you know you're a eudaimon? And he would say, it's based on feeling. It's based on not not it, it's it's based on not feeling but uh intuition intuitively knowing you're doing the right or wrong wrong thing i wouldn't say feeling because you could be being tortured but you could still intuitively know you're doing the right thing while you're being tortured and aristotle c would say you're still faring well do you guys know what i'm does that make sense? Yeah. 
So it's not based on emotions, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm trying to say. E- even in the case of it not being necessarily all just emotions, right? But I want to understand if the intuition, even if it is a feeling or if it's driven by reason, whichever one it may necessarily be, would you not agree or maybe you would disagree with this idea of is there not a better intuition than others or one that necessarily leads to a more efficient achieving of this understanding and realization of the connectedness of everything, which then leads to this state of euphoria? Or do you think that all experiences, all perspectives are equal in this and that it doesn't matter if you achieve happiness? That is, that's like you said, that's eudaimonia. It has nothing to do with happiness. Is that still a better intuition if you can have that? That's a really key because one there's there's this really controversial uh thing that constantly comes up in in Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics when he talks about um eudaimonia is that he thinks in order to reach cuz eudaimonia is flourishing right and flourishing is reaching your top potential and and Aristotle believes you can't really reach your top potential without being in the right environment. Just as a plant cannot grow successfully and flourish in a shady environment, similarly, a human cannot flourish in a in an environment maybe where his intuition is to get to your question isn't being trained properly, and um, they don't have the proper environmental um just just like commodities that other people do so they're they're going to be their reason is going to be acting different than others their intuition is going to be acting different than others aristotle does have an answer for them he ha he says hey even in those circumstances even though that life is very unpredictable in the sense that every single individual is launched into this life on a different level with different circumstances, with different past lineages, past traumas, past experiences. They're walking into a different, a, a different, everybody has a different set of circumstances. Aristotle would say it's still able to achieve eudaimon. But you may not be the best version of yourself. For instance, like maybe you're very athletic, right? Maybe you're very, very athletic and uh, you're supposed to be like the next LeBron James. And you just happen to be born in a neighborhood that doesn't have uh, much, much like access to NBA prospects and stuff like that, you know, Um Nevertheless, you could still become a basketball coach in your society and reach another very, very positive version of yourself that you could still be satisfied on a very, like, considering the circumstances, I still reached the the best thing, all con- all things considered. And Aristotle, ha- that's how he would answer that. So... I guess to just summarize, you're basically in a sense saying that the environment in which an individual needs to undergo that um, connectedness or realization is individualized. It, it may be that some individuals may never achieve that full form of euphoria or, you, or eudaimonia, that state of presence, but that's just how it is? 
Is that just how the way the dice are rolled, would you say? Or is there not a way for all of us, the ones who have achieved that state of being, to pass it on, to awaken? In the, in the Hinduist saying, I think it's stepping off the wheel of karma onto the wheel of dharma. Or is that the phrase? There's something like that. So you got to remember, eudaimonia is flourishing. Again, it's achieving the best, the best all possible versions of yourself. And so when you're in an environment that doesn't allow for that, but you still become, uh, you still become um, the best product of your environment, I guess, per se. Yeah, Aristotle would say that 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 is what it is. He doesn't say you should be a such Superman and overcome the the oppressed society you live in like some people do like you 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 hear about in the american you know the american dream overcome your odds richness is for everybody aristotle would say don't even like don't beat yourself up if you do not do that you know account for your environment don't beat a plant up for not growing under a shade of some tree i think that's very real albert einstein said that uh goldfish will live its life thinking it's stupid if judging itself on its ability to climb a tree something along those lines and so i i think it's interesting that you say this because from personal experience i'm resonating because for a long time uh my form my material manifestation that we call daniel believed that i needed to use reason and logic to achieve these understandings but i was humbled by the fact that it was a spiritual experience and so that's where i would say is just for people to connect with is that it may be that you believe that you need to achieve or it's possible that you will achieve the understanding of connectedness realization of eudaimonia of happiness and euphoria through this particular way but you might be humbled to the fact that it might be some completely different perspective that you didn't see once before and maybe a friend's been trying to egg you down in your ear but you don't want to listen because maybe your your eyes and your mind haven't been open enough so if just from my personal experience i never thought spirituality would be this way that i experienced and i'm resonating with what you're saying but yeah as a person of reason i guess that just saying be open to anything i guess Yeah, I really like the idea of eudaimonia. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, as I was saying like earlier, to flourish, and it really sounds like to me it's about living out your blueprint. And as I was saying earlier, like trees have a certain blueprint, people have a certain blueprint, and we have a physical blueprint. Yes, that's true. But I think we all have a spiritual blueprint, and to get to that state of flourishing, I think the end state of that is just complete connectedness with all things, mm. losing the identification with the self, not the self as in like the ultimate I, but the self as in the identity, the mind, the body, the ego mm. that you've learned to identify with throughout the years mistakenly. Because in truth, there are no labels that can describe what we are. We are what that is. We are eternal. And that is the truth. And everything else that is changeable, that is temporary, cannot be us. So that means our body cannot be us. Why? Because we grow old and then soon our body dies. Our mind cannot be us because we have thoughts 
and these thoughts change over time. We have different beliefs from when we were young to when we were old. We have different emotions. Our emotions change. Our emotions are very temporary. Like you said, happiness and things like that are very temporary. These things do not fulfill us for a long time. But the thing is, there is an eternal you. And once you've uncovered that you, then you learn that you experience that which you are, which is love, peace, and the I. Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll wrap up in a bit. This is kind of like something that I just kind of like. I remember reading this kind of thing earlier. It's like, like you know, you're not the body because, and it's actually in David Hawkins' book. There's a chair for David Hawkins right there. He died like ten years ago, and basically in it, like, and this is a perspective that's like pretty common. It's like you know, you're not the body because you know you can lose all your limbs, or you know you can get sick and like you still like you know you're you. Like you don't like lose your core essence. You know, you're not your mind because your thoughts change over time. You know, they repeat all the time. Like, it's just like, you know, your mind is just like this, like, whack-ass program, basically, unless you learn to control it. So, you know, there's, there's like, something deeper within you that, like, observes the body, observes the mind. And, like, you know, in Christianity, I think we usually call that a soul. And so that's what I call it. But whatever you want, you know. But, like... I had like a question attached to this one, but it's like, basically I'm thinking like, how does, you had like interesting perspective, York, and I forget what it was, but it was something like along the lines of basically like, you know that like you are this sort of like unity or like oneness type of thing, right? Like someone a lot of times is going to hear that and they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you really know that? Like, okay, I can accept that I'm not like the body or the mind or whatever. And, like, someone will be like, okay, maybe I'm the soul. But they won't really know what that really means. And so, like, what do you really think that means? And, like, there is this important concept of, like, the kind of, like, the capital self kind of thing, which is, like, we all are this kind of thing, what I would call God. But, like, how do you know this kind of thing is true? And, like, what really does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Kind of, like, two questions there. So the only way you can really know if it's true is to experience it for yourself. Because, yeah, you can have all these ideas of like, okay, I'm connected to everything. This person is me. But how can he be me? He's in a different body. He has different thoughts than me. He has a different figure. You know, he's so different. But that's only because we're identified with our mind and body. These are all labels and containers that we fit ourselves into to experience this localized experience but once you let go of these things and not just like understanding intellectually because intellectual understanding is a very limited experience you can say okay yeah i'm not this body but in your experience you still feel that you're in this body you're still bounded by the body and until you let go of everything that is connected with that you let go of all your desires you let go of all this hate um your thoughts and transform them into loving thoughts and then recognizing the i you're not going to experience that for yourself if that makes sense let me know if i missed anything you want me to say
because I'm just trying to think about like you know like someone who's like kind of like just thinking about this kind of stuff, like this kind of stuff. I feel you, but it's like, you know, what I mean, like, like how can we like really break this kind of thing down? You got something for me, Daniel? I think most people will typically resort to logic, which is what Chris said, is that typically most philosophies will resort to understanding the connectedness or the understanding of everything through reason. And so let's say, let's play the reason game then. And let's say that your best use is mathematics. And let's use mathematics to derive a conclusion that will bring us to unity. So with some of our best approximations of theories, right, we use a lot of this terminology of different fields. A field applies a scalar value, or we can call it a number value, to every point in space and time. You can call it a three-dimensional space where we have X's, Y's, and Z's, and you can add time to allow it to flow in four dimensions. The idea is when you start to derive this mathematical theories, as Einstein once did, and he's very famous for, he derives this idea that everything operates through this field, which is all connected, again, this idea of unity. It's proven mathematically, and you can say that, it, yes, it is simply an approximation, but this approximation has led to the modern world as we know it today. We go further and we say, well, isn't relativity superseded by the ideas of quantum mechanics? And then furthermore, by quantum field theory, well, there you have it. Quantum field theory arises once more, the interconnectedness of everything through the fields, the scalar values, the number values of the universe. And so you can say that I don't believe it because I've never experienced it. Then look at the mathematics is what my response would be. Yeah, I like that. Listen, I want to hear some like final thoughts. I want to get you guys thinking. Like, give me some thoughts on this. Okay, unity is proven. So what? Like, what do we do with that? How does that like help us? I think what the purpose of knowing that is just to show that it is possible. I think a lot of people don't really look for it just because they have an idea that unity is such a faraway thing that can never come into their experience. And knowing it intellectually, yeah, it's good. It opens the door to possibility just like mushrooms, just like psychedelics, and a bunch of other things. But these are all signposts to show you that Christ consciousness, God, unity, are all possible things for you to experience within yourself as a permanent state of being. And until you realize that, and until you go for that for yourself to experience it, it's all intellectual. And it really serves no real purpose unless you can experience the fruits of that. Yeah. That was beautifully said. I think... Um I think the the upshot of unity is, you know, first and foremost, you want to be unified in yourself, like 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 was just said. You you want to have your emotions and your desires and your reasons all doing what they're supposed to be doing, and all unified together in a harmony. Um, I think when that's happening, we're functioning well and we're, we are living our best life or flourishing. And um, as, as the gentleman just said, uh, it gives us some, it's, it, 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 it's something to, it's a signpost. It's possible. When you see it within yourself, you know it's possible within a disunified 
um, being, system, anything. And it's, it's, it's like looking at a clock, a com complex clock. Um, you know, the w one part must be unified for the whole collective watch to be unified. Um, so it's, it's something to look forward to within yourself. And it's also something that's contagious within the whole. And just a final reiteration of what I said earlier of the mathematical reasoning behind it and chasing after that if you want to uh, circumvent the experiential path of saying that, oh, I, I felt it and therefore it is. Um, it, you will find inconsistencies in the idea of what it means to apply a field because you'll say that the theory... Uh, predicts incorrect things about our reality but then as you go further once I've said you uh, the laws of physics are created in such a way or rather they're derived in such a way that we envelop everything that came before so this idea of unity although it might be f failing we can say to predict proper approximations for this scalar value model which is the number value model the more mathematically inclined will know that there are vector value models for fields or we can call them arrow valued we can go further with more detail and description but the idea is the mathematical machinery exists so keep going as far as you will the reason will just keep leading you back to unity but once again this is not experience so if one truly wants to experience the unity the a priori knowledge or the prior knowledge derived from your reasoning will have to match the a posteriori knowledge which is the experiential knowledge your experience you must understand through reason that everything is connected and once you undergo the experience Experience, then everything will make sense. The realization will have then been synthesized. That is, I guess, my final takeaway for that. Beautifully said. And everyone had very, very great things to say today. Thank you so much to Daniel, Chris, and York today for an amazing podcast. And thank you for listening. And we hope to see you again soon. Goodbye.